Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, Lieutenant. You win. I did it. Did you, Doctor? I don't know whether or not you really hang this on me or... You're a strange man. It was a bluff I couldn't afford to call. How'd you know? I suspected you ten minutes after I met you. You see this match? It wasn't used to light a cigarette. It was used to light this cigar. And it's burnt from top to bottom. Just like this match. Burnt from top to bottom. But this match was found in an ashtray in Professor Nicholson's living room. The room was cleaned at five o'clock. After five, there were only three people in it. Mrs. Nicholson, but she doesn't smoke. Nicholson himself, who smoked a pipe, but who used a lighter. And the third person, the murderer. That first day, I couldn't give a hoot in the hell about a thief. I was looking for a cigar smoker. And there you were. No, sir. The problem wasn't so much who did it. The problem was... why you did it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, this is Marla Gibbs, also known as Florence on the Jeffersons, Mary on 227, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson along with our guests Joseph Doherty and David Koenig as we continue our special roundtable discussion about the original Columbo on NBC during the 1970s and the revival of Columbo that aired on ABC in the late 80s, early 1990s. David Koenig, author of Shooting Columbo, The Lives and Deaths of TV's Rumpel Detective. Shooting Columbo, available wherever books are sold through Bonaventure Press. You can also find it. Amazon.com, BarnesNoble.com, wherever books are sold online. Joseph Doherty, Emmy Award-winning writer, director, producer, such classic shows as 30-something, Saving Grace, Pretty Little Liars. Also the author of the award-winning stage production, Chester Bailey, Joe's new book, A Screenwriter's Companion, Instruction, Opinion, Encouragement is available for pre-order right now through Amazon.com. Tony Figueroa is also with us, along with Dan Farron of Story Salon, and we're glad you're with us as well. David, we mentioned the Bob Dish, uh, the, the Bob Dishy episodes. Uh, the first one was Greenhouse Jungle. That reminds me, you've got another 
in addition to having an appendix that's devoted strictly to the mansions, you also have an appendix on the various uh, composers who contributed to Columbo and the important role that uh, music played, particularly in the NBC shows, although I think there are a couple of the a a ABC shows where music was kind of significant. But one of my per favorite scores of, of Columbo was, was Oliver Nelson's score for Greenhouse Jungle. Yeah, it, it, it's excellent. It's unique. It's the only one, you know, uh, the only Columbo score, I think, with bongos. It's the only one Oliver Nelson ever did. And it was probably written quicker than any other Columbo score ever because there was another one that was commissioned, written by Philip Glass, who was a oh. avant-garde composer um, who did a lot of successful music for Night Gallery. So they thought, ooh, this is, that'd be kind of interesting. And he turned in his score, and it was just, uh, it, it, it didn't work at all. And so the producer, Dean Hargrove, goes, I can't use this. We've never thrown anything out, but I, it just, this is completely unusable. So he went to Oliver Nelson. He's like, you got a week. And he's like, okay. Are you sure that, are you, was that Glass or was that, was that the guy who did Andromeda Strain? I'm trying to. I can't. But it's like it's interesting that score for that score for uh, Greenhouse Jungle somehow turned into stock music that got used in the sixties and, and yeah, Ed knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, they they, they used it. Uh, they used it throughout the the second and third year of Columbo. And if I remember correctly, they probably it probably showed up on other Universal shows of that era. Yeah. I know they took. I know, I don't remember whether we talked about this when you were last on, David, but uh, one of the scores, the, the score that uh, Billy Goldenberg wrote for um, the Lee Grant pilot, Ransom for a Dead Man, was lifted and appeared not only in other Columbos, but it appeared in a McLeod. It appeared in a few other Universal shows because it was simply, it was, it was owned by the studio and they used it as they wanted yeah, there was uh, the studio at that time had some sort of rule that there was a certain number of minutes of music that they could borrow and they would they didn't have to credit the person. So there's actually one whole episode I think is Requiem for a Falling Star, which doesn't credit any composer because it uses a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but just the right amount so that they didn't have to credit them. And Joey was right; it was I, I misspoke. It's it was Paul Glass, not Philip. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be persnickety. No, that's good. That, as soon as you said that, I'm like, wait, yeah, that doesn't sound. That doesn't sound right. But it's, he is correct. But that I, I think that the score for Ransom for a Dead Man is really lovely and and mm -hmm. sophisticated, and it does one of those things I love, which is basically it ends up being the Muzak in the airport lounge yeah. <laughs> at the end of the episode. <laughs> and how many times did did Peter Falk's second wife appear in the program? <laughs> uh, six. Six times, <laughs> yes. Which is probably half of her total acting credits in her, it, yes, in her career. Because that's uh, for some reason she had great luck getting uh, hired for Columbo. Can't imagine why. <laughs> is that, I mean, is that six altogether? Because or because I she she appeared in a lot of like the last two years of the NBC, and that she and it seemed like she was in every ABC one. Yeah, she appeared in uh, I think once in season six and once in season seven at the end of NBC. And then four times in the in the ABC years. Okay. Um, I think typically I think with David, larger roles. I think David, you said she was trying to work her way up to being the murderer. Yeah, that was. Yeah. I don't know if she was joking, but that's what she said. Is that that was her goal was to one day be the murderer. She started. She started out as the good guy, 
as the wrong suspect's secretary and then the mistress and then the, you know and then the, the murderer's secretary then the murderer's wife and girlfriend and finally she was the co-murderer so she she had a, a she I, I think her biggest role of the ones she did was the one in with a dabney coleman the murder of a rock star yeah Yes, which could have been even longer of a part if she wouldn't have stormed out the last day of filming and they had to <laughs> they had to rewrite the episode around her. Yeah, I'm just going to stay inside. Yeah. You finish the episode. <laughs> she went shopping, is actually <laughs> happened. I'm not joking, she did. She was, that's, you know. Uh, Dab- Dabney Coleman, who does a dead-on impersonation of Peter Falk. Oh, okay. <laughs> When they had the uh, ceremony at, uh, or the party at Mousseau and Franks, when Peter Falk got his his star on the Walk of Fame posthumously, there was a whole montage of everybody in attendance doing their Columbo. Oh, wow. So, from Kevin Pollack to Ed Begley Jr. to Dabney Coleman. And Dabney Coleman, they did it for Me TV, I think it was. Yes, Dabney yes. Coleman said, yes. well, if, if Ed Begley did his, I'm not doing mine. So <laughs> it was... But, you know, Kevin Pollack was the one who could actually do the eye and everything as part of the impression. I grew up in New York, uh, and there was actually a brand of yogurt called Columbo Yogurt (laughs) that had a beautiful impersonator doing their commercials. And that lasted for a couple weeks before they had to start putting a disclaimer on the commercials. Joseph Doherty is with us via Zoom, along with David Koenig, Joe Doherty, Emmy Award-winning writer, producer, director, and playwright, while David Koenig is the author of such books as Shooting Columbo, The Lives and Deaths of TV's Rumple Detective. Dan Farron of Story Salon is also with us, along with Tony Figueroa. We're glad you're with us as we take a deep dive into both the original Columbo from NBC and the ABC Columbo from the late 80s, early 1990s. Shooting Columbo by David Koenig, available wherever books are sold, as well as Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, wherever books are sold online. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Tony? Is there a favorite moment? I'm going to ask everyone. We're going with that. Just a moment that was just like the quintessential moment in episode. Unfortunately, the image popping in my head is when Columbo meets Edith Head and her desk has all the Oscars on, on it. She like brought the candles on a birthday cake. Yeah. Was, you walk up to her desk and the, the, the Oscars are lined up like you would line up candles on a birthday cake, like on a big sheet cake. But I, I don't know why that's the image that pops in. Just there's certain like perfect Columbo moments. I, I got to tell you, it's like uh, it, one of them, the first one that shows up in my head is is bringing the dessert wine when he arrests Donald Pleasance at the end of Port in a Storm, which is so which is very, very close to the end of the Johnny Cash episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, that's probably my favorite scene. My favorite, like, like quick second is is uh, in the middle of uh, Now You See Him, the episode with Johnny uh, uh, Jack Cassidy as the murderer where Columbo convinces him, sort of forces him his way to be the volunteer in the middle of his pack. He wants to prove that he knows how to pick a lock. So he goes, oh, I, bought the, I brought these, uh, these uh, cuffs for you. And the, the great moment is, is after he picks the lock, because he's trying to, you can tell he's trying to figure out, do I show him that I know how to pick a lock or do I embarrass myself in front of the, and he, 
he does it in just a split second where Peter Falk just leans over and goes, I knew you could do it. And it's just, <laughs> and it's, a, it's a really beautiful type shot of the two of them. So, uh, you know what's a fun thing? There's more than one of them, but it's whenever Columbo has to go on a television show. When he goes on the cooking show with Martin, with Martin Landau, he's yeah. so just just a big dopey smile on yeah. his face, and it's kind of like, well, this is a genuine guy who's just like, I'm going to do stuff. I can tell my wife about this. <laughs> I'm thinking of two endings: one with uh, Jose Ferrer, where they have the cigar, and the one with Donald Pleasance, where they're having the wine. In, in the Peugeot, which, you know, police officers should not be drinking while they have the car. But, but, yeah, those two moments that they have a, a, a smoke together or they have a drink together, that there was a certain mutual respect, as opposed to somebody that you really hated, like when um, Robert Conrad was the Jack LaLanne type character. <laughs> yeah. But, but Robert Colbert has, has the distinction, which I think is only shared with Leonard Nimoy, as the villain Columbo got mad at. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. again, David, you talk about that moment when he confronts Leonard Nimoy and just spontaneously picks up a cup and bangs it on the table. Yeah. Just yeah, to wake up Leonard Nimoy. It was, it was <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was very, it's, again, that's like, it's such yeah. an act, it's such an accurate thing. It's such an accurate decision to do. Yeah. Cause it's not, it's not quite like that in the, uh, in the script, in the, in the script, he just sort of leans over and, you know, says exactly what he says. And it was Peter Fox's instinct to just slam the, the cup or the stapler or whatever it was that he that he had there and just sort of snarl it, snarl it out. And that's there, there's a little scene in uh, Prescription Murder where uh, Columbo sort of gets tough with the, the ingenue to make her to try and prod her into working with them to you know trap the the murderer where he gets kind of rough but this is the first time where he really gets angry and the second time is is uh, uh as you said is with the robert conrad yeah and episode. link and link always link always maintained that when colombo got angry with the with the ingenue and prescription murder that was a calculated act and right. so Link, you know, and, and maybe it's because Link wrote that and, and therefore had control over that. And it's okay. And it's, it's, it's okay because I wrote that. But when Peter thought on his own, that's different, you know. Speaking of William Link, we had a chance to talk to Bill in 2011 about his friendship with Peter Falk and working with Peter Falk on Columbo, where we play our conversation with William Link in our second hour. Joe? The opposite end of the spectrum is the, the Louis Jordan episode, which has that great exchange at the end where, you know, he's been he's been caught by Colombo and Colombo has cooked him food and Louis Jordan eats it and says, I wish you'd been a cook. And that also has one of them. It's similar to something that happens in the in the uh, Ruth Gordon episodes. Is I know these people and I understand talking about the killers. I know these people and I understand them and I even respect some of them, but I don't like what they do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, you I can lo- understand why this guy's still on the force after all that time. I love some of the comedic buttons that they use. The ones I think of uh, the most is what first of all, Columbo signing for the dollar ninety seven tab at the airport. 
even though he has a, a, a suitcase full of grant ransom money in front of him. Uh, and then uh, I also uh, love, I believe it's the one where Culp is the private detective, and he's telling the story about the uh, banana and the tailpipe. And Ray Milan does this great take as he starts to walk away and stops and goes back and looks in the tailpipe. Um, I also, for, uh, for you know, the, the murder reveals, not in really reveals, but the minute of the gotcha moment, uh, there are some wonderful, I mean, it always depends on whether they defiantly fight it to the end or whether they just give up. I, I think I, that's, that's a, I really do feel sorry for Johnny Cash at the end of that episode. I yeah. really do to some extent. But uh, going back to Suitable for Framing, um, uh, I love Ross Martin. I actually worked on a TV show with Ross Martin. He was a very nice man. And at that very end there, where he literally dissolves into a plate of jelly. I mean, he just uh, 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 he starts he starts stammering. He he, he points. He, his lower lip starts jumping up and down and whatever. It's just a wonderful moment. I mean, he just plays that beautifully, and uh, that's always my wife and I always enjoy when we watch them, um, to to the point where we say, "Okay, Columbo has figured out who the murderer is right there." There's something because you see because Falk always does something. There's some little gesture. It could be very slight. It could be something where he goes, Mm-mm, "This isn't right," and well, I and I, I think maybe we're looking at this incorrectly. To dovetail on that, Dan, one of my favorite Columbo moments is it's either his first scene in Troubled Waters or his first scene with Robert Vaughn, and when he sees the little when he sees the little feather from the pillow. He knows right away. He knows, and you know that he knows yep. that Robert Vaughn did it. And it's just a matter yep. of how he's going to figure. And there, 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 there are a couple of shows where he knows almost right away that it's. Yeah. But yeah. for me, that was the first. That for me, that was the first time that he knows right away that you know, that yeah. that he yeah. did it. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Trouble, troubled waters is 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 good to watch because. Large portions of it appear to have actually been filmed during Troubled yes. Waters. <laughs> There's a, quite a bit of corridor staggering going. On. <laughs> no, that was legit. It, it, yeah, it did not look like a love boat. You know, it did not look like a soundstage. It looked like every scene was shot on the ship. Yeah. No, but again, as David, you pointed out in the books, is that the carno- the, the cruise company promoted the cruise. Yeah. Yes, they did. Join us for a Colombo cruise. Yeah, and they got a big storm the last day, so that was. Uh... That was it. And, and there are some scenes, uh, interior cabin scenes where there was, you know, there, there's no way you're going to fit the whole camera crew and you know, all the actors in, a, in an actual carnival cruise uh, a cabin. So those had to be rebuilt at Universal. But the rest, everything outside of those cabins was all, all filmed on the ship during the during the cruise because they had to they had to be off and gone as soon as they came into port. I love it. Uh, my, my, my dear wife, Beverly, who wouldn't harm a fly. If that woman sings one more verse of Valari, there's going to be um, Robert Vaughn's not going to be. There's going to be a dead woman in that cabin when Vaughn gets there. Uh, also, you know what? It's interesting when you're talking about how the early tips. It's Louis Jordan because he comes in and Columbo asks him, "You came right from the airport?" Uh, and he says, "Yeah." I says, "I said you you got a f-, and he says and he's Louis Jordan says, "What did you suspect me?" And and Falk says, "Oh, first five minutes after I met you. I says, no, impossible. It could not be. And then and Fox says, You you came directly here after being getting a phone call from the police to say that you just had dinner with a man who died of poison. 
You didn't go to the doctor. You didn't go to the hospital. You came right here. That's the damnedest piece of civic crime I've ever seen. <laughs> Joseph Doherty is with us via Zoom, along with David Koenig, Joe Doherty, Emmy Award-winning writer, producer, director, and playwright, while David Koenig is the author of such books as Shooting Columbo, The Lives and Deaths of TV's Rumple Detective. Dan Farron of Story Salon is also with us, along with Tony Figueroa. We're glad you're with us as we take a deep dive into both the original Columbo on NBC and the series of Columbo movies that aired on ABC between 1989 and 2003. Take a quick time out. Talks more Columbo when we come back on TV Confidential. This Week in TV History now has its own podcast. You can enjoy This Week in TV History with Tony Figueroa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you find podcasts. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash TV Confidential or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415 415- 886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.